Hello and welcome to Personal Battles. I'm your host, Al, and you're listening to a podcast all about the human spirit, those mental health battles we face, how we fall, but more importantly, how we get back up and keep moving forward. The world is a dark place. Let's spread some light and share how we feel. The Little Things It's a little thing. It's just a little email, but it means so much. Last year was the first time I've ever run a half marathon, and being from the northeast, and if you run, everyone asks, have you run the Great North Run yet? And last year, oh my, I did, uh, with bells on. Well, not literally bells, but if you want to know what I mean, go to Personal Best on YouTube and see those bells. But yeah, this year I applied uh, through the ballot to see if I could get a place And that email said, yes, you've done it, Al. From Great Run, they said, congratulations, you've made it through the ballot. So yeah, I am going to be running my second ever half marathon and my second ever Great North Run. I'm so excited. It's almost like I've forgotten when I was actually running it last year, how much everything hurt. (laughs) But yeah, sometimes it's just a little thing like an email that can make such a difference to your mood. I even did a little dance in my kitchen again. Night fever, night fever. Al's got an email. Another little thing is microphones. Now, I've had some problems with my microphone for this podcast. It seems to be getting quieter and quieter. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes you can hardly hear me. It's been infuriating me to do. It's taken me so long to record some of these episodes. And I've just been in a room shouting at myself and shouting into a microphone. I will not be silenced! Although this microphone is making sure I was. Um, I've been trying lots of things, but I think I've cracked it. So this is the little thing extra. If I've cracked it, you can hear me. So that worked. Or I've cracked it too much and I'm far too loud now. And then I'll listen back to this and hate this volume also. But fingers crossed, I sound just nice. My week! This week's been particularly tough for me, mentally. It doesn't take much, no, you know, a little shove really, mentally, for all your dreams and thoughts come crumbling. Um, yeah, maybe some of my foundations aren't as strong as others. I've got a dream, I want to build things, I want to build this podcast. But yeah, it, it doesn't take much of a shake to suddenly make you question everything. And what am I doing? How am I going to survive going forward? Um, so that's a worry. Uh, financially, it's a, it's a big worry. Um, I was thinking I was doing right. But sometimes you don't know if you're doing right or, or wrong. But I believe in what I'm trying to do. So I'll keep going. And if there's anyone out there who'd like to give me a bit of support, uh, just go to my website, person-al.com, or just go on social media and uh, show me some love that way. Um, share stories and, and talk about the show. So, yeah, just let me know that there's people out there. Thanks. Personal Battles, Battle Guest. And what a battle guest I've got for you. Um, this battle guest took some catching. I am so glad I caught him in my personal battles net. 
It's the first time for the show I've had to speak to the battle guests, people. Yeah, I'm using inverted commas there. I know it's not great for a podcast. But yeah, I had people to talk to first to try and get this battle guest on the show. And I got them. Had them booked into my calendar for weeks. But they're here now on this show. Listen to the story. But more importantly, listen to how they got back up. It's There's been some amazingly inspiring battle guests on this show. But this is something completely different. I find it fascinating to find out how people cope. Their coping strategies and how they keep moving forward. And also finding out factors of why people felt so low and on this one as well i think there's new factors i haven't even thought about to take into account so yeah here comes this week's battle guest and i'm thrilled they said yes to being on the show so they could tell their story to you ladies and gentlemen i give you matthew co-founder of If You Care Share. Woo! Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod, Matthew. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, really, really looking forward to having a chat with you. Yeah. And just to get to know each other, where, you know, we don't really know each other very well, but I know you got charity really well. So we'll start with a friendly fire question. A little icebreaker helps uh, two people like us get talking. So, Robin's question from last week. Robin, what was your question, please? I would like you to imagine that you are a burglar, but when you go into the house, you can only take an item that is going to mildly inconvenience your victim. <laughs> what are you going to steal? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you steal? If I was going into a house as a burglar to mildly inconvenience my victims, I would take all the labels off the tins in the kitchen cupboard. <laughs> You'd take the labels off them. Yeah, that'd be quite annoying, wouldn't it? What are you having on your jacket potato today? Is it going to be mushy peas? Is it going to be beans? Or is it going to be custard? Yeah, custard. Don't <laughs> we don't know because there's no labels. And yeah, that's another great friendly fire question for people who are out there struggling or you want to start a conversation. Just ask them this question that would mildly, you know, Upset somebody if you stole something from their house. What would you do? How how evil would you get being <laughs> just slightly petty? <laughs> Name your petty evilness. Now that that is a brilliant question, mate. What a question. <laughs> what a question that is. All our listeners all week have been asking giving some brilliant answers to this. That is a yeah. question. Only mildly inconvenience them. Yeah. Do you want to think about it? I can give you some. I mean, I give I mean, you some time. I've get. I've. I've. My head's gone initially to one thing, but uh-huh. it wouldn't be a, if if somebody pinched this. It wouldn't be a mild inconvenience to me. It'd be a major inconvenience, and it would be the TV remote. So, dude, that's it. Yeah. So many people have said the TV remote because yeah. if that person then left the house and yeah. you were unaware you've been burgled, you yeah. would never assume someone's took the TV remote. Yeah, and it would exactly. drive you insane. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, because I think even the then readjustment of making the kind of well getting another TV remote and kind of setting it up and stuff like that. So yeah, my head goes to that because in the times where the TV remote is misplaced in my house, it's uh, yeah certainly a distraction. So I think I would say TV. Remote. <laughs> Great question. Though. So it, it's often misplaced in your house, is it? 
Yeah, I am never my fault, but it's quite often my fault. <laughs> right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll go through some of the uh, the answers some of our listeners have been saying because some of them are brilliant. Common theme was TV remote. I love that. Uh, a phone charger. Mm. Yep, I can see that. All the forks. Just take all the forks from someone's house. No, that's just messed up. Um, shoelaces again. <laughs> Somebody said toilet seat, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's quite obvious. But if you didn't spot that and sat down, that could be an issue. Um, this one, two people have said something quite similar. Uh, one pair from every shoe and one sock from every pair as well. So, yeah, you, that could send you quite crazy as well, thinking, like, where's all my, where's all my left shoes gone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, thanks, everyone, for that uh, for your answers to that. And, Robin, that was a, that was a brilliant question. <laughs> Great question. Okay, now we'll move on to the heart of the show, uh, the battle. And if, for people who don't know Matthew's battle, uh, sit back and get ready for this one. Um, when I've gone to battle guests in the past and have talked about afterwards and how they got back up, it's been inspirational. But when you hear how Matthew got back up, just all I can say is uh, be ready. It's it's quite a story, quite a journey goes on. So, Matthew, over to you. Uh, just give me... Your battle, the conditions that you were under at the time, what happened that, that led up to this this dark moment? And uh, yeah, just in your own time, Matthew, tell me, what was your battle? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I always kind of reflect on from being a kid and I had a pretty easy kind of early childhood growing up um i am part of a family that is a big family um in terms of um very supportive lots of cousins um i live in a village which is a great village great lumley um and yeah kind of like i look back on most of, most of my early childhood with real fond memories there was you know the usual challenges that any any kid will have but um yeah, yeah it was it was pretty good pretty easy um and you know i have um a, an amazing mum and dad uh older brother younger brother um i was the middle brother which brought with it it's uh it's various yeah. challenges <laughs> um so yeah but you know kind of good um school was all right wasn't wasn't the the most clever but was pretty clever you know, like spending time with my friends, all good, all pretty good. Um, and I think kind of that that real pivot in in my life, in my experience, was um when I was 10. Uh and kind of when I see a pivot completely flipped, flipped my world upside down. Um and it was a normal, um, normal day. It was Easter Monday. Um and I stayed at my cousin's uh, house the 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 day before, and my dad came to get us. We were going shopping, um, much to my annoyance because I knew that would have just meant it was my mom looking in shops, and we were just being followed followed around, um, or we were following around, I should say, um. But the trade off was we were getting a Chinese buffet, so it was kind of a bit a bit of a bit of a fair deal. 
Uh, so it was me, me, my mum and dad, and my younger brother Ben. Um, my older brother Dan stayed at home, which was normal. He was nineteen. Um, so spent the day, went shopping, came home. Um, and there's kind of I, I I look back and I think about it, and there's there's parts of this that are really vivid. There's parts that I've kind of uh, uh are either really quick or I can't really remember them. Um, but what I can I can always remember and always sticks with us. Um. So I knew Spy Kids 3D was on the TV and I wanted to be back to watch Spy Kids 3D. Right. And uh, so we got back, put Spy Kids on, um, normal. And then um, from upstairs, I could hear my mom uh, screaming. Uh, but it, was, it wasn't the scream of seeing a spider or something like that. It was a proper scream. Um, and, and my first reaction was I thought somebody was in the house thought there was somebody kind of broke in the house um my dad ran upstairs um and then I, I, what i made out is that they were screaming my older brother dan's name who we thought was out of the house um so i thought they were having a fight so i've i've gone up to kind of see see what was going on um and unfortunately seeing that actually what had happened um or what i know now um, is that my brother had taken his own life. Um, but at, at that time, what I seen kind of, I was then told to help in terms of how could we help my brother. Uh, I ran for the house phone to to get an ambulance. Um, and then my first reaction was, I need to tell the ambulance where the house is. So I ran to the, I always remember it was, it was raining. I ran to the end of the street barefoot. And just stood at the end of the street waiting for the ambulance to come because my thought was as soon as they're there, they can help my brother. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's where kind of <clears throat> time becomes a little bit of a gap, a little bit of a window, and, and quite sped up. Um, because at that point, at that window, the the concept of my brother not of my brother dying hadn't really come yet. And then um We'd been split up, me and my brother, because my brother hadn't seen what had happened. Um, and we were brought back together um, because we were in some of our neighbours' houses and my dad brought us back together and, and told us that, that Dan had gone. Um, and that kind of... How do I describe it? That, that sudden kind of feeling that being hit with that loss um of the person that you idolize of the person that was your best friend the person who taught you everything who kind of you spent you know kind of most of your time trying to impress um yeah. was gone and was gone in a way that i'd seen what he'd done i'd seen the decision he'd made and i knew very early on what that meant you know um but the the whole kind of family and what we then went through and how we kind of carried on with our lives was a completely different journey to the journey we should have been going on as a family we'd never lived in our family home for for months because nobody dared step foot in the house we lived at our auntie's house i slept on the floor for months I didn't want to sleep by myself because every time I closed my eyes, I would see what I'd seen or I'd see my brother or I'd think about my brother. Um, 
And, you know, grief obviously hit us the way grief hits everybody. But there were so many questions and so many um, emotions that are added on when it comes to a death by suicide because there is guilt, there's anger, there's blame, there's all these things, there's the lack of understanding because we don't, we still don't really know why why he made that decision in you know in two thousand twenty four, um, nineteen years on, we still don't know, and I think you know kind of that that early battle if 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 we're kind of look at it that way is is was really just the understanding things that you can't understand and trying to accept not knowing why and acceptance of that is really hard yeah because we want one plus one equal two we want when you Actually, have logic. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I even created scenarios in my head when where somebody brought into our house and done that to me, brother, because rationally that was something that I never ever co- could conceive that my brother would do. And the the thought process around, you know, kind of very early on hated my brother. I thought, how could he do that right. to me? How could he do that to our family? How could he do that to the people that he cares about? And there is all these misconceptions, you know, it's a selfish act and, and stuff like that. And I understand why people feel like that because I felt like that. So, but then, you know, I'm a 10-year-old kid yeah. who then has to go back to normal life I've got to go back to school. Mm. But everybody at school knows what's happened. Everyone knows. And all my teachers know what happens. Or what what's happened, sorry. And you know, I was at a um academy football wise at the time. They all knew what was ha- happening and yeah. nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to yeah. do. And I was I don't I don't think this was a conscious decision. What semi-conscious decision? I just became really good at putting on a brave face, like really good at it, um, because I know I'm an empath and I'm so kind of um, guided by other people's emotions in terms of how I then kind of portray my emotions, especially when it came to my parents. Um, I didn't want to tell them exactly how I felt because I knew the impact that would have on them. Yeah. And I'm staring at my, the people who keep me safe and they are absolutely broken. So for me to share yeah, anymore, them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So oh, wow. for years, I think I suppressed a lot, um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, um obviously a lot of sadness um because i want one one of the things was i wanted to see my brother again and i wanted to escape this horrendous nightmare that i was living and you know i wanted to be with my brother sometimes and that what 
the end of that, what that means, I didn't really fully process of, you know, that means not being here anymore, but the thought of not seeing my brother anymore, almost it then became rational of, right, okay, well, if that means I could potentially see my brother. So there was that kind of cloud living over us, but you can't say that your mom and dad when in from my perception, my mom and dad were already at the bottom. Yeah. So the, the, that cloud live lives with me now. You know, it still lives with me now because the something that I've kind of become to come to accept from my perception when it comes to suicide is we all we all have that thought at some point in terms of wanting to escape and we will choose certain things to escape some of us will turn to alcohol drugs gambling some of us will turn to real good things you know like running for example i know we'll probably end up talking about this later but some of us will turn to well if i'm not here anymore could things be better could things be easier um but you know i've accepted that that will always be there but telling that to my mom and dad is one of the most difficult things ever um so so yeah so that that kind of <clears throat> that awareness of how i felt and how that would impact others was was a huge challenge to the point that i did and you know people talk about this all the time but i was very good at putting the mask on i was was very good at kind of giving a little bit away so it's enough so i wouldn't say oh yeah i'm great i'm good i would just say i'm sad yeah. and stuff like that um so what then kind of went went through further on with that journey as you know we're, we're kind of dealing with the, the loss of of my brother is that i then found other ways to deal with the emotions and the fears that i had um and for um years probably i didn't really realize what it was um i just did it um sometimes consciously sometimes subconsciously um until actually i realized that it was taking over my life um and i shared it with my parents and i was diagnosed with ocd um because actually what i'd created was compulsions to try and alleviate the fear of loss because what now i understand what my perception was the people that i love die and i needed to try and do anything and everything i could to prevent them from dying so nice. i would get off the bus from school and walk from the bus stop to my mom and dad's house um, which was probably, five, I don't know, 500, 600 metres, something like that. And um, so what I would do is I, I counted, count still sometimes, um, my steps and sets of 10. And I would pick a spot that I have to get to in 10 steps. And that would mean I would either be walking really long steps or really short strides. And lamppost was a great one for that. Um, right. And... I would do it, do it, do it, do it. But I could be walking alongside my mate and my mate would be completely oblivious of the fact that I'm doing it. I'd be holding the conversation and stuff, but I'd still be doing it. I'd still be doing it. And 
But I had to do that because the fear was that if I didn't, when I got to the door, I'd go in the house and my mom would be dead. And what I kind of, my understanding now is that was the con, I, I was trying to control things that I couldn't control yeah. because I'd seen the worst, I'd experienced the worst, and I didn't want to experience that again. Um, you know, not not long, I can't remember exact time scales, but um, after we lost Dan, um, soon after that, I think a couple of years, somewhere in that window, I lost my um, my granddad as well um, to heart issues. But I also seen my granddad on kind of passed out. So I'd seen the two people that were probably two right. of the yeah. kind of people that I held in the highest regard. And those images stick with you. Exactly. And wow. if I if I can do anything to try and prevent that from happening, or at least prepare myself, I think that was the other thing is if I think about this all the time, then if it happens, then I might be able to deal with it a little bit easier. Be prepared for it. Yeah. So you're preparing yourself for worst case scenario all the time. All the time. All the time. Wow. Well, while also trying to be a, a normal kid as well, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I was I was playing academy football at the same time. I had loads of friends. I was still kind of like in quotation marks enjoying life, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just trying to fit the narrative of, of what because you know, people would look probably back then like, oh, he plays for an academy, he's a good football and stuff like that. My I reflect on it with my dad now. The vast majority of training sessions and games we drove to were a nightmare because I was ill, because I was terrified of being late, because my perception of being late was that I would be dropped. And then the one thing that was going to give me happiness, I wouldn't have anymore. Right. And this, I, I put football on this pedestal because that was yeah. the only thing I had to escape. Right. It was the only thing I had to escape, kind of the battle that I was going through. Um, so the one thing that I thought was the positive was the negative quite often. Yeah, you turn that into a negative as well. Yeah, yeah, because there was this wow. huge fear, this huge, huge anxiety. And yes, it's not a, a loved one, but it's a loss again. It's a loss of the identity of how you perceive yourself and how you think your future is going to go. Um, so, so yeah, so kind of, I think, you know, growing up, being diagnosed with OCD, that was around about... 12, 13 year old, uh, nobody knew until I spoke about it. Nobody, nobody had any clue that I'd, that I'd been doing it. And, and I've been doing it for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, kind of, I think the, the real, the, the real big thing for me, and I think where, where we, where I feel really passionate about, you know, as, as a sibling, who's lost, who's lost a brother to suicide, but as a, you know, as a, as a family member that's lost somebody the the, the impact of that, doesn't just stop at at the you know after one year anniversary after one christmas there mm -hmm. that that lives with me for for the rest of my life that still lives with me now and i think the the impact on how your journey then goes after that the how the battle then goes after that and you know um being diagnosed with OCD, taking medication for for most of my adult life for anxiety and depression, you know, kind of the the significance of 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 a birthday, the significance of an anniversary, the significance of the fact that I'm going to turn thirty this year, and 
that obviously is a huge birthday, but also it's another birthday that I haven't had without my brother. So that'll be, you know, 20 birthdays now, 19 birthdays um, that I haven't spent with my brother. When I turned 19, I was then the age that my brother was when he took his own life. Yeah. There's, there's so, the milestones never stop. They actually probably, for me, I would say that they become more ever-present because of the, because what a birthday means to me now compared to a birthday when I was 12 is obviously significantly different. The gratitude you have for certain things and the 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 value that you hold for certain things significantly changes, right? Yeah. Or you hope it changes as, as you get older. Um, and, you know, the little things of having a pint with your brother, you know, mm. taking them out for your first trip to McDonald's when you pass your test, yeah. things like that, first, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the battle for me still continues um, and I'll, I'll never, I'll never hit the pause or the stop button on that. But also there are, it isn't isn't just because my brother took his own life that I have battles in my life. Right. Yeah. There are life continues in terms of there are external things that go on in my life and in everybody's life, as well as hmm. the fact that I've lost my brother and the fact that I lost my brother is enough of a battle for anybody <laughs> to have to deal with. But definitely, I, as we know, as you know, I'll you know. Life is tough and there's a, there's a lot of challenges that come with it and there's a lot of battles with it. Um, but I think with the scars, there's also hope. Must be must have been really tough though. Is that that image that you would have had, Matthew, when you were ten of your brother? Did you actually you actually saw it as well? Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. you know exactly how it happened and wow, that must be. Uh, you must have nightmares about something like that. Yeah, I think, I think, for me, this is my personal experience, and I think it's always important when I talk about this. Like, this is my experience. This isn't the experience of every single person. Um, but I've come to the point that that image will always be there. However, I've done a lot of work on the impact that that image has. And the trauma that that causes. So talking about, you know, we talk about it now. I have that image in my head. But actually the the impact that that holds, still holds impact, but not to the significance that I potentially could or would have. But that's took a lot of work. Wow. Okay. Thanks so much, Matty, for your story so far. Um, I think time is now a good place to have a, a comfort break, uh, listen to some adverts, and then we'll come back and then we'll hear what Matthew did next. So stay tuned for that. You like water, don't you? It tastes even better out of a bottle for some reason. So let us help you. We take water from our taps and put them in bottles and sell them to you for double price. That way, everyone wins, especially us. Lumley, 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 lumley gin. It's lovely, and it's from Lumley, and it's 
Jin. And we've checked, there's no other cities or towns starting with L that are selling Jin. This way, but don't check. Yes, lovely Jin. It's lovely, lovely. Kid. This town needs someone to clean the streets of crime. So here he is. Beverly Hill Swan. With his sidekick Al. They fight crime. They make bodies through their time. Sometimes they get stuck in slime. They make a rhyme every time. Al does all the driving, obviously. And Cole honks at the bodies. A new TV series coming to you soon. Beverly Hills Swan. I'd watch it, but then I would say that I'm in it. A giant and a swan fighting crime? Come on! You'd watch that. It's better than that other rubbish you watch. Come over to the dark side. And watch Beverly Hills Swan. Welcome back from those adverts. Um, I hope you uh, were interested in what you had to hear there or buying those uh, bottles of gin, whatever it was. So we left uh, we left Matthew on the battlefield dealing with a lot of battles, but uh, wait until you hear what happens next and how Matthew then started moving forward because he didn't just start moving forward and getting up himself. Um, so yeah, Matthew, what happened next and what was the start? Yeah, so I, I suppose the, the the kind of next step kind of straddled not long after after we we lost Dan because we while there was that huge cloud of everything as a family we were dealing with, and that wasn't just me, my mom, dad, and brother, right? That was a massive family. Um, the as I said earlier, so we um. We moved into my auntie's home um, with my auntie and my cousin, Sarah, who was a year above me and was like, Sarah and Dan were like brother and sister. Um, so that just became the the cocoon of kind of trying to support each other mm. and trying to help each other. And, you know, we, we were we were kids. We were, we were still trying to process what was going through, but also thinking could we do something and you know we would we had our little notebooks and we were like writing things about Dan and how I felt about that and stuff like that and I can't remember how how it was instigated but it was um it was myself and my cousin um and the inspiration came from kind of so at the time wristbands were really big there was like I know kind of the tarnish now but the strong wristband and you know kind of the uh, kick races amount of football wristband and yeah. stuff like that. So we just thought, could we do a wristband for people to wear? And it would have Dan's name on. And then we could give it to his mates. And then they've all got Dan. Everybody's got Dan to keep. Um, right. A piece of Dan to keep. And yeah. my cousin then came up with the idea of a slogan, um, which was, if you care, share. Oh, right. um, and yeah, so I can't take any credit for the name. So it's no credit for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no credit for me in that. Um, and 
it was it was it was a genius idea. It was, you know, if you care about your families, your friends, yourself, you should share how you feel. Um because Dan didn't share with any of us and look what look what had happened. So um we kind of went down Dragon's Den style to my mum and dad and Auntie Julie and we're like, here we go, this is the idea. Um and they then from what came from that was actually maybe we could raise some money. Um we had a family friend who worked for the Samaritans at the time and wrote a letter, this is what's happened, this is what's going on, this is what we want to do. She came over kind of floods of tears and was like, let's let's do this, let's see what we can do. Um and then we went on a journey of of really realizing that we weren't the only ones um that were experiencing this. Um that there were so many other people that had lost somebody at suicide or had been struggling themselves. And um, the village of Great Lumley kind of really just came together. We had um, a, a game um, in Dan's memory, a football game. And then what snowballed from that was a campaign selling wristbands across the northeast um, at all the local football grounds to target young men to get them talking yeah. about how they're feeling. Um, suicide was the second biggest killer of young men um, at the time. And the campaign just carried on. My dad ran the London Marathon. He was part of a, a documentary on BBC um, of kind of going from struggles to to hope. Um, it's called Road to Glory. Um, or run for glory, sorry. Um, and we the whole campaign kind of collectively together we raised just under fifty thousand pounds for Samaritans, um, which obviously from what we set out to do to what we yeah. achieved was miles apart, miles wow. apart. Um, and then from then, kind of like, obviously there was that there was that real kind of mission. We want to do something. Want to make a change. We want to. But also we're dealing with the fact that we'd lost our loved one at the same time and trying to balance them too and work with a you know a, a national charity can be challenging. Um so then we kind of took a little bit of a step away from Samaritans and um it was very much my mom then had had kind of set herself out on the the journey of why was there nobody there to help us? We were going through the most horrendous experience and nobody knew what to do. And that's not, not anybody's fault. That's not, you know, we sat down with our, oh, sorry, my mom and dad sat down with our GP and the GP, who was now one of our trustees, amazing guy, kind of just said, blank prescription. I'll write anything down on here for you, but it's not going to help. It's not going to, I've got nowhere to point you because there is nothing for what you are experiencing and um family friend said to my mom and dad look i don't want you to take this in the wrong way but i know somebody um who had also been affected by suicide a couple um do you want to speak to them don't know if they'll help but do you want to speak to them and my mom and dad originally were like, no, because these were a, a kind of a couple couple years down the line from from where we were, um, right. in terms of when they'd lost the 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 loved one. And um my mom and dad's perception, we've talked about this kind of was, well, what if they're like us now and they're a couple of years down the line? Then what's the hope? What's the chance? Like, how do we right. move on? And yeah. how do we yeah. 
how do we move on? It's not the right word. How do we uh, deal with this if even there isn't a glimmer of hope in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, they came round to it, thankfully, and uh, spent some time with the, these people. And what they were terrified of was the opposite of actually, it wasn't about moving on. It wasn't about forgetting. But there was hope there. And there was a chance. There was a life. And their view at that time, there was no life. There was nothing kind of to to cling on to. So actually, that experience really then motivated my mom to think, well, we were the lucky ones that found these individuals, thanks to a friend. How many aren't that lucky? How many aren't that lucky to have uh, an auntie like I do to take us into their home and be supportive and wrap us in a safety net to try and protect us? So we then kind of started discussing as a family and my mom really was spearheading the idea that there's too many gaps in what we've experienced. There was too many gaps for Dan. There wasn't enough education on the importance that Dan had to look after his own mental health, that Dan had to speak about how he was feeling. There clearly isn't enough training for people around somebody to be able to spot the signs and to have these conversations, but also there wasn't any help for us after. So um, what started as an idea of a wristband then became actually um, a a mission, a charity, um, uh, support for for people who unfortunately quite often don't get the support that they need. Um, so fast forward to 2011, if you care, share became a registered charity with three aims, um, which is still our aims, which is to prevent suicide, um, to train people on how to intervene with somebody who might be suicidal, while also supporting those that have been bereaved by suicide. That kind of idea that that creation of a charity started in our spare room. Um, it started with my mom um, on a laptop, just basically head down, absolute mission, I'm going to change this. I'm going to stop people taking their own lives. I am going to completely do whatever I can to not let others go through what we went through as a family. And and the the energy and the kind of attitude that my mom has um meant that that then took us to a place where we were being let in places where you would never conceive that somebody like us should be allowed in you know kind of right we then was my mom was then speaking at conferences my mom was attending national strategy meetings we were speaking to professional football clubs we were supporting people we were working with counselors we were working with commissioners and kind of this what was just a pure well mission is the right word and became actually a a real living organization um that was intended to make a difference and was making a difference to to people's lives um started in Great Lumley 
by Great Lumley um, yeah. and actually attempting to try and reach as far and as wide as possible um, and as many people as possible, which is now what we've done um, for for the last last 13 years of, of our, our existence, coming up to 13 years next month. Um, and yeah, we, we're now in a position where we're, we're a, we're a charity that is, um, strong in terms of members of staff, volunteers, supporters, fundraisers like yourself, um, who are still on the same mission and still are hugely, um, devastated challenge frustrated by where we find ourselves in terms of this subject matter you know we live in a climate that um suicide is the biggest killer of men the northeast has the highest rate of suicide durham has the highest rate within uh, the northeast and why do you think that is then matthew why is it so different it's the question i get asked all the time and i think Suicide is complex, right? There isn't one simple yeah. answer when it comes when it comes to it, and we will never know the true ins and outs because, just like in my my example, we don't always know the why. I think there are various different contributing factors, and again, this is my personal beliefs on this. Um, so we know that economic pressures can affect people in terms of taking their own lives not always but it can be a contributory factor um when we talk about contributory factors we are looking at financial we're looking at relationships we're looking at um employment we're looking at identity we're looking at the way we simplify it is we're looking at loss so it's the loss of one thing multiple things loss of something how do we deal with that loss? Now, if we don't necessarily have the appropriate coping strategies, support networks, access to services around us, then that becomes a lot more difficult. My personal belief in terms of the Northeast, and it's a bit contradictory what I'm about to say, but it should make sense. Now, we were created... And the reason that If You Care Share exists is because of community coming together, not because of, of, a, of a family, because of a community that was devastated by my, my brother's loss. Now, for me, the Northeast, what we are best at is community. We are so good at community spirit, communities coming together, but our communities are challenged more and more every single year our communities are becoming more and more divided. Our communities are becoming less and less of what we are best at. And community spirit, in 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 my kind of view, has become so divided because a community is not what a community used to be. You know, I use my village. Mm. We used to have five pubs. We now have two. We used to have a flourishing community centre where young people would be there every single day. Yeah, We don't anymore. We have a community centre that is open, but it's for classes. We don't have the community sense and the ability to be able to rely on a community the way that we used to. But also, 
when unfortunately something like this happens, communities do come together. Mm. But actually, it's the reliance of the community after, not before. And that's when we realize actually we're the ones that can make this difference. And I suppose yeah. Yeah. for me, the challenge to everybody is how do we bring that back? And how do we get, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not looking, I'm looking, I'm not looking through rose-tinted lenses here, and I'm not saying, you know, everything was great back in the day and back in my yeah. day. It's certainly <laughs> not that idea. sort of case, but like because you know. In 2005, people were still taking their own lives. Yeah. But I think as you look back, people have always taken their own lives. It's not like, you know, it wasn't 2005, that's when people started either. But yeah, yeah, I think as we look at how the rates have increased and ha then how we look at how communities interact and the, the breakdown of communities over, over the years... And especially within the Northeast, my personal belief that that has huge contributory factor, huge contributory factor. Yeah. Um, so that's my personal. I don't know. Hopefully that made sense. Yeah. But that's no, my personal. Very, yeah. 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 It used to be communities like would know everybody in the village in the town. You'd know 100%. everyone's name. And uh, I remember at my darkest days that I'm I'm even in a small cul-de-sac with only a few houses, and I was I'd be thinking, you know what? Not one person in the street would know yeah no one knows what i'm going through and i never feel comfortable reaching out because it they've never reached out before and it, it gets that difficult part where it's like you know people could be having the worst day of their lives and the people around them just wouldn't mm. know mm. because they don't know the person they don't know how they're acting a little bit different yeah some people you know don't even know their neighbors names so it's like mm. it's really it's really sad yeah what happened matthew it, uh was this quite early exists. on it still exists yeah? though community spirit still yeah. exists it's oh yeah not... totally it's not what it used to be. That's why I love park runs and brings that community back together. 100%. Things 100%. like that. You suddenly see like everyone just talking to everybody and then I'll be walking down the street and go, hello. And like, who was that? Oh, that was the marshal from point three. Yeah. And you get into no generations and the support. And you think some people, especially on probably the older generations, probably don't have that much of like a social life and, and a connection. And a yeah. park run could be everything to them. Yeah. And it brings people together. And it was like, and suddenly like, so you can say somebody's having a bad day. Like it was in my experience, and I just said to them, "Do you want to go for a coffee?" And like mm. I would never have met this person before, Matthew. And certainly, yeah. friendships start and all. And like, definitely, like this big events really, really work. Definitely. Now, where, where, where was this in the if you care share kind of journey that like you decided to do a little run to Downing Street? What happened there, Matthew? <laughs> Tell um, us about that. Yeah, so we're kind of talking coming out coming out of lockdown and you know things were obviously a hell of a lot worse in terms of mental health and the amount of people that were struggling and the amount of people that were feeling the strain um and we had a fantastic initiative from our government um which was the uh, leveling up agenda which sounded absolutely superb um, in terms of making a difference to the north and giving the north an opportunity, um, to to level it up, so there wasn't this north south divide, um. So a paper, a white paper was written for the for the leveling up agenda, um, and not once in it did it mention suicide prevention, um, not when, once did it mention the word suicide. It mentioned mental health once in the whole paper, and we're talking a big paper here, right? Um, now. 
the leveling up was all about infrastructure, nice buildings, employment, all that sort of stuff. Great stuff, great stuff. But also the northeast and the northwest has the two highest rates of suicide in the UK. And or in England, sorry. So actually, when it comes to leveling up and giving people fair opportunities, why is it that more people in the north are taking their own lives than in the south? So actually, what we decided, and I say the collective we as an organization and other organizations was that we wanted to ask the government to prioritize suicide prevention as part of the leveling up agenda. Um, and as with most of these things, to make as big a splash as possible, you try and do some sort of kind of um campaign alongside that. Um and I came up with the great idea of uh of hand delivering it to Downing Street um from from the northeast. Uh, so set out on a 11 day run, uh, 289 miles uh, to, to hand deliver um, a letter to to the prime minister. Um, Hyman wasn't great. Uh, it was at the time that we were currently wait, awaiting a new prime minister, which was then to become Liz Truss. Liz Truss turned up at 10 Downing Street a couple of days before me. Um and left not long after me as well. To be fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so we we got the letter to Downing Street. Um, that was a couple of years ago, and we're still waiting for a response now. Wow, no response. No, and that's from either prime minister, and it has been delivered to both prime ministers. Um, so you know, I think there are there are clearly frustrations we may have as a. A community of people from the northeast and you know that's what we pride ourselves on an organization we are the northeast we're not we don't want to ever ever kind of spread any further in terms right. of what we want to be the northeast that's who we are that's where our experience is um and to have that kind of frustration of we, we just want to be heard yeah. um so we continue with them battles and we continue to try and give the the people who don't necessarily have the voice, the voice to be able to share our experience. Fantastic, Matthew. Uh, for the people who probably follow me and my journeys, uh, last year um, I ran the Great North Run for If You Care Share. I uh, raised over £600 and also uh, for the podcast, not for the podcast, Matthew, I'm wearing one of your hoodies. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's in that was in partnership with Lad Bible as well, wasn't it? So correct, yeah. You've uh, you've got some connections, Matthew, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. With the I, hoodies I mean, in the watch watch this space because we may have something else coming soon as well. Oh uh, who knows what it is, who knows? Um, a bit, a bit of new merchandise. I think, I think I think the beauty of kind of what we do is we we are real people trying to share real experiences yeah. and mm. I, I hope and the reason that we are able to work with some fantastic organizations and, you know, people get excited by the big organizations that we work in partnership with be understandably because of the name that they carry, you know, yeah. kind of, we are very fortunate. We can travel around the country and share our experiences with various different groups from professional football clubs to, you know, kind of um, speaking at Westminster, but the, the validity for us and where we, carry just as much weight is when I can go in to uh, work with a community group in the Northeast or go and work with 
a group of teachers or you know a group of supportive people and i think the the thing that we never want to lose is the fact that we're real people with real experiences and we never just want to become another organization mm. because that's not who we are and that's not why our name is yeah um and that's what i would hope i would hope everybody who kind of enters our door joins kind of our community would would yeah. feel that i would hope yeah, that's 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 good that because at times, uh, not knowing this kind of information, Matthew, I'd see you guys and I'd see you. I think was it you were doing workshops at Man City, yeah, uh, football ground and then Newcastle, and I was like, are you guys becoming like international and national like charity now? Because like you're seeing so many, you must have had so many great experiences, you know. Yeah, almost as an outsider, dare I say, I was like getting envious. It's like wow, he's yeah. met such and such footballer and all this, and then. Is that is that Matthew on Steph's packed lunch? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think and... I saw you. I think I saw you two weeks ago on uh, on on local news again. It's like there he is again. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost yeah, more and... famous than me, Matthew. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I think the thing is with that, like you know, I, there are there's so many pinch me moments I've had. So many pinch me moments, and you know, I'd swap it all. I'd swap it all. Mm. For, oh yeah. To, to change to change kind of what what I've had previously but I think the the kind of the purpose and the aim it doesn't matter who you are what you do whether you're a man city or you whether you're a bloke who I bump into down the street actually the message is still the same and the message that I would give if I'm talking to a lad who potentially is going to play for England in the future is no different to the conversation I would have with one of my mates because yeah. you know this yeah. this is a subject matter that doesn't discriminate this is a subject matter that is affecting us all and this is a subject matter that we all need to talk about so yeah. there is no there's no hierarchy here there's no right. this place is better better than this experience is better than this clearly there are some places where you're like for me I'm you know I am hugely privileged and hugely grateful for the opportunities that I have but the message is always still the same mm -hmm. yeah you'd give the same message that you would on a, on a tv show to some person who just walked into a coffee shop and was introduced this is Al uh can you have a quick word with him Matthew and that yeah. was me and 100%. yeah had a quick we, we had a quick chat and yeah it was exactly the same yeah. kind of conversation yeah because yeah it, it's, there's no boundaries is there everyone yeah. is exactly the same doing yeah. these things what Definitely. I want to know as well, Matthew, is like, right, so once you're getting all this funding coming through to support your charity, how do you decide how best to use it? That must be like really tough. Do you have to support local or are you going for like local areas that are not covered or are you going for workshops further afield? Like how do you like work out where's best to help? The priority always will be the Northeast. Um, and I think... This is a this is a real battle, and I think this is quite often a, a sometimes a, a misconception when it when it comes to a charity of kind of you know when when an organisation might grow, it's like oh they're doing well, you know, kind of that yeah. organisation's doing really well. Actually, the climate at this moment in time is really tough to be a charity. It's really tough, um, and especially within the world of suicide prevention, um, mm -hmm. because we are always kind of battling 
to try and continue to be, make sure that we're available and to make sure that we're available to the people that are need us. Um, how do we or how do we decide? Where do we decide? We try to put a lot of that in. So if for a lot of people who fundraise for us, we want to give them the opportunity to decide of how we spend that money because we oh. want them to feel like they're part of that journey. So actually they may have a real interest in one certain thing. So we always try to give that opportunity of a decision of how how do we spend that money. Um, but I suppose the simple answer is the priority is to save lives and the priority is to prevent others going through what we went through. So that will always, always take precedent um, over anything uh, that we do. And, you know, we have so many things... We don't do anything that isn't what we believe to be life-saving in some sort of way, but the priority will always be those that are most in need. And the priority will always be to try and be as available to those people for as long as possible. Um, I think if I could wave my magic wand, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would ensure that every single person in the Northeast is able to access our support um doesn't matter where you live doesn't matter what time if you are feeling suicidal or being bereaved by suicide we are there um yeah so that would be the that is the vision mm. which is wow. hard I can imagine this yeah wow so i think we'll leave it there for our battle guest uh Thank you, Matthew, for your story and uh, all the things that If You Care Share have then since done. If You Care Share are a charity that supports communities, prevents suicide and saves lives. And as Matthew's co-founder there, he's doing amazing work and I'm a big supporter of If You Care Share and mental health. I'll leave links on the podcast websites and our social media if you want to know more about If You Care or if you want to make a little donation or anything like that, please feel free. So, yeah, I'll put all that out there for you. Um, but, yeah, all that says, uh, thank you, Matthew, for sharing your battle. Okay, before we say, finally say goodbye to Matthew, we'll quickly get his friendly fire question. So, mate, what is your friendly fire question for next week's battle guest? So I'm bringing a, this is a bit of an icebreaker that we always do with any new staff at our organization. Oh, right. Um, and it is, um, if you were a kitchen utensil, which one would you be and why? <laughs> utensil. Okay, these questions are getting weirder. <laughs> Who came up with that question? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It's, uh, Suddenly have really strong debate about being a ladle. <laughs> it's a fan favourite in our office. It, 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 you'll be surprised at how much you can kind of get to know from a person from that question. Yeah, yeah. somebody will give an answer going, oh, it says a lot. Yeah, I can understand yeah. you saying that. What, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would be your answer? So my answer would be... Oh, would you look at the time oh, again? Oh, it's bad time and chip on my part. Sorry, we're out of time, but... Stay tuned next week to find out which kitchen utensil Matthew will be. I know, as cliffhangers go, that's right up there. <laughs> you have to tune in next week to find out. <laughs> All I can say now is thank you, Matthew, for being on this show. 
You're a great guest. Thank you for giving up so much of your valuable time for the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And thank you for everything you do, Al. Oh, thanks. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Not a problem. So what have I learned from Matthew's story? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? I don't think it's until you've got children yourself that you realise how innocent a 10-year-old actually is. So to think about what he went through that day and then running barefoot in the rain, waiting for the ambulance. Wow. Uh, it's, it's hard to even comprehend how that little boy would have been feeling. And then after that, how his OCD developed these compulsions to alleviate the fear of loss for the people he loved. And doing these things, he was trying to control the uncontrollables because if he didn't, the worst case scenario would happen. And he was always preparing himself for the worst case scenario. And he was turning positives into negatives. Then there's the interesting statistic regarding suicide rates in the northeast being the highest in the country and the northeast and the northwest of England being the highest in the country north versus south it's not something I've thought about so what location and where you are has an could have an effect on suicide and and why is that because I've always, I've always seen firsthand how nice and friendly we are in the northeast of England, and it's just me saying that. People who come to the northeast all say what a friendly bunch of people we are. So we have great community spirit, but maybe it's there's nothing before that traumatic event, and the community spirits maybe is breaking down to a degree, but we are under such pressures as well especially economic pressures, finance being a huge thing in the north-south divide. There is more poverty in the north of England compared to the south, and I know people who work in full-time employment still have to rely on food banks to feed their families, and that's just not right on any level. Scary statistics to hear that where I am, Durham is the closest city to me and that has the highest suicide rate in the country. So yes, I am in the epicentre of the storm and just trying to get my head around why. But hopefully with things like this podcast, talking openly and making people hopefully feel more comfortable about talking about their mental health, we can start getting our community spirit going before a traumatic event. And with Matthew doing such great things with If You Care, Share. Because unfortunately, it's needed. There's not much else support out there. So we come together as a community, as a charity, and try and support each other through these dark times. I don't know if the dark times are getting more frequent for everyone. 
but hopefully with things like if you care share myself on this podcast talking about mental health we're breaking down barriers breaking down stigmas and trying to make the world a slightly better place we're here for you if you're struggling all i ask is stay with us be kind corner this week's be kind corner is community the importance of community spirit are we losing our community spirit are things getting worse do we only really care if something bad happens and then we all come together why don't we care about the good times and support people's successes and achievements this is what we need there shouldn't be anybody out there feeling alone cut off isolated surrounded by a crowd of people believe me i know how that feels i've been there just because you're in a group of people doesn't mean you're desperately alone but let's try and change that let's try and reach out to our communities this week let's try to do some good let's encourage success and support each what each other and let's just ask if you were a kitchen utensil what would you be let's start to pace and just tell them yeah you're all wrong yeah you should be a ladle but i don't know what's the right answer to this one <laughs> This is almost the end of the show, so all I can say is... Oh, where's my notes? Okay, bear with me. Ah, remember, if you care, share. And with scars, there's also hope. Be kind to yourself and your community. Look after one another, as those in government who should care, maybe don't. Together, we are stronger. Together, we are going to smash it. I'm Al. You can also find me on social media. Search person underscore Al underscore best. This was Personal Battles. Person underscore Al underscore battles. The website is person-al.com. Please check out that. That's the home of everything Person Al. Everything I'm doing is on there and you can see what's happening with the podcast, what I'm doing events-wise, where I'm going to be. If you want to support me and what I'm trying to do here, that it's all on the website, so please check it out. So all that's left for me to say is keep some laughter in your heart, a kitchen implement by your side, and please stay with us. Until next time, it's goodbye from us.